0: we are right in the middle of a a series, a collection of talks on Deuteronomy. Uh, And the subtitle for this collection of talks is Choosing the Good Life. Uh, And I I must uh, confess, when when Pastor Ryan gave me the assignment and asked to teach on Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, not my favorite book in the Bible. Uh, And I will tell you why, right, from the stage, right? Thank you, I just admitted that. Uh, it's, It's because every time I've read it, just casually, as you read through the Bible and you get to this last uh, book of the first five books, the the Hebrew Torah. Uh, it, it's just a recap, like you've already read all this stuff. And I think for us, you know, uh, fifteen hundred years later, we can read through it and be like, God, you just told me this a couple chapters ago. Like, can we move on to something fun? Can we get in some stories or some exciting miracles? Or why do we got to go through this list of things that you want us to think about and remember and do? And uh, I really, uh, as I studied and I dove in, I found a new appreciation for this book over the last month as I've been preparing. And uh, it's because of the title. I had never known this uh, for all the years in the faith and all the years reading Deuteronomy that the word Deuteronomy, the title of the book, actually means second law. It's the second law there's a reason why god is recapping this for his people for us it's just a few chapters apart but for his people it's it's thousands of years of human history and he's bringing moses to this place right before they enter the promised land and he's saying like hey just a reminder this is a this is a good thing i want to remind you of all of the things that god has told us the things he expects from us the things that he wants for us and I, I, want that, I want that to be the way you live and operate and move and be as you walk into God's promise. And, and what's beautiful to me about this idea of a second law is what inspired the title to the message today, which is, let's try this again. We, we serve a God that's so gracious when we fall flat on our face or we do things on our own strength or we try to manufacture and strive, he comes alongside of us and he, he doesn't point the finger and condemn and say, I told you so. He wraps his arms around us and he says, hey, let's try this again. And I think it's beautiful that we serve a God who would give a second law, who would give a second chance, who would wrap his arms around us and say, hey, I got you. Let's try this again. And so, I wanna jump into a a portion of of scripture in John, in in chapter four, starting in verse three, where Jesus is just starting his ministry. He's left Jerusalem and Judea and he's headed to Galilee, but before he goes to Galilee, he stops in Samaria. And we can throw the verse up there on the screen and we're gonna read through the first part of this. It says he left Judea and went back to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. He came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, "Will you give me a drink?" His disciples had gone into the town to buy food and the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. This woman is not expecting this encounter with Jesus. Jesus though had to go through Samaria and I think it was to let this woman know and to impact an entire city that there were second chances available to them. That they were serving a God that they might have forgotten says, let's try this again. And so we see here something that it could be very easy to think started a few chapters ago when Jesus started his ministry. But I wanna to propose to you this morning that we travel back in time and maybe this story started 1400 years earlier in Deuteronomy with the promises that Moses was reminding his people of and the setup that pays off with the coming of Jesus. So let's pray this morning, invite the Holy Spirit in to do what only he can do, uh, which is share and bring revelation to our hearts and our minds. God, we're so thankful. We're so thankful for you. God, we lift you up in this place. We seek God be magnified, be glorified. Let the words that we just spoke, not just be a song, not just be words on a screen. Let them be words that sink into our heart. Father, have your way today. Holy Spirit, bring revelation to us. Don't allow us to leave this place the same, but start a work in the Spirit and give us the courage and the strength and the will and the determination to walk it out every single day as we leave this place. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we're excited, we're expecting for what you're gonna do this morning through the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen, amen, amen. So church, I'm excited for, for today and this journey that we're going to go on. And as I, uh, as I shared with you earlier, this particular uh, chapter of Deuteronomy, chapter 11, where we're going to be today, if you want to flesh more of that out, and I would encourage you to, to dig into your Bibles and to read more on this. Uh, as I was preparing, I had to cut a lot of information. And so I would just encourage you. Uh, Paul writes about kind of this concept of grace and truth and the law and the spirit of God uh, in a lot of his letters, specifically in Romans uh, in chapter 8 and in Galatians and Ephesians quite extensively. So I would encourage you to jump into Romans or Galatians or Ephesians or, or you know, I would encourage you to read the Bible. But that specifically will help you, I think, uh, kind of ground some of this if you walk out and you still have questions or ponderings or thoughts about this. And so I want to jump in. In in chapter 11 in Deuteronomy, Moses presents to the people a a few commands, a few anecdotes, and a few reminders, and then he wraps up by asking the people to perform a ceremony once they've entered the promised land. And so it's, it's a very serious, straightforward, like, older, wise guy walked in the truth, kind of laying down what... Uh, what God is speaking to him and what the people are about to walk into. And uh, even the, the subtitle in my Bible calls this particular section, Loving and Obeying God, and the, the tension that we live in doing that. I wanna start in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse one. Moses says to the people, he says, Love the Lord your God. Keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, his commands always. Remember today that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God, his majesty, his mighty hand, his outstretched arms, the signs he performed, and the things that he did in the heart of Egypt, both to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his whole country. He continues on a little bit about remembering certain things that happen. And I want to encourage us with a couple of points that we can pull out of this scripture. But the main point is this, is that what Moses is trying to communicate in so many words is that the good life is a life that's guarded by limits and committed to reflection. What what we see here is that Moses says, hey, you've got to love the Lord your God, and that will prompt you to keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, his commands, and you've got to remember, he's speaking to children, right, that are now adults, right? The, the, the Israelites came out of Egypt and were about to go into the promised land and then did an about-face because their faith was not what God needed it to be to enter that land and conquer what he had set before them. And so everybody that's 20 years of old or older— passes away in the wilderness, except for Caleb and Joshua and Moses and Aaron. And they go, they turn back around. They're about to enter the promised land. And it's the children that have grown up in the wilderness and have seen all of these signs. They were kids coming out of Egypt. They were kids in the wilderness, but they're kids no more. And God speaks to them and says, hey, remember what you saw. You were just children, but you know, you know. And I, I think that as a kid, if I think about this, uh, one of the things that always scared me, and I always lived in the tension of, was well, what if I really do follow God? Like, like, what if I really do keep His requirements and His degrees? What if He speaks something to me and I don't like it? I don't want to do that. As a young kid, I would—I—you I, I, you have these imaginations when you come to Jesus and you start—you start thinking about well, what if, what if God? you know, sends me out into some tropical rainforest by myself alone to be a missionary to these people. And you start thinking in the flesh and thinking about the natural and these fears that might come along with really doing what God asks of you or following all his laws, or you look to your left and to your right and you see people as a young student in in youth ministry or something like that, watching people do whatever it is they want to do and thinking to myself, why am I following this? Why do they get to do that and I get to do this? And living in the tension of following God and being guarded by limits, listening to his word. You see, I think what we have to do is we have to come to an understanding that following God Following and keeping his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and he has them. There is a way that God has designed us to live. There's a way that God has designed us to operate. It's in the Bible. It's not a secret. Those things are not meant to limit me. Those things are meant to free me. Keeping his laws doesn't take anything from me. It provides me for guidance for healthy living. It's, it's, it's like a prescription prescription. You know, if, if we're feeling out of sorts or, or, or not quite whole, we go to the doctor and we ask him to examine us. And then when he gives us a prescription, we should not take that as optional. We should not look at the directions on the bottle and say, this is a good idea, but what if I took more? Or what if I took less? And the moment we start to skip steps or rearrange things or walk in our own strength or have our own ideas that's when we become unhealthy. It says in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It also says later in Proverbs that humility is the fear of the Lord. I wonder then if we couldn't combine those two thoughts and think to ourselves that, the, that humility really is the wisest thing that we can do for ourselves, could, could we come to a place of humility where we humble ourselves and we say, you know what, God, your ways are not my ways. I might never understand it. I might never know it. I don't know why. It has to be this way and it doesn't have to be that way. Or this thing needs to take place and this thing doesn't. Or why I should do that and shouldn't do this. If we could just say, maybe I don't know it all. Maybe I need to submit to authority. Maybe I need to trust And God, what does Jesus tell his disciples in John 14? He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I think we see this in Psalm 1, and the author of the first Psalm kind of beautifully weaves a Psalm that I think flows so wonderfully with Deuteronomy 11. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on that law day and night. You see, see we, we need the law. Because in the natural flesh that we exist in, in the fallen state that creation operates in, we do this thing where we, we, we walk by sin and take a glance. And then just a peek, just a listen, just a taste. And then we start to stand nearer and nearer and nearer and closer until we're sitting right in the middle of something and we ask ourselves that ever heavy echoing question, how did I end up here? And, and we wonder, and it's because of this right here, following his requirements, his decrees, his laws, his commands, and remembering what he has for us. You see, remembering is just a way of reflecting. Remembering helps us to stay out of our own way we pause, we remember that we need guidance and that we need God. You see, I think sometimes we think that in following his law, he's waiting for us to trip up and point the finger and say, I got you. Or he's pulling something out from underneath us and saying like, no, you have to do this and you have to do this and you'll never measure up. But that's not at all the God that we see here. In scripture, there's scripture after scripture that says that God is aroused or provoked to anger. It's not the other way around. It's not his natural state. We bring him to a place where he's like, what? what am I going to do with you? It's us, Hebrew says, that need to be provoked or spurred on towards love and good deeds. Not God. We're the ones that often sit in self-righteousness or in judgment of others. And sometimes we need to take a step back and understand Let me look back to what God has done. Just as Moses instructed these these grown former children of the people of Israel, in Psalm 103 it says this in verse 7, He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I love this part. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are our dust. He's the perfect father. He gives guidance and correction and support, not to keep things from us, but to keep us in the healthiest, wholest version of ourselves, living in the fullness that he created us to exist in, in spite of the fallen world around us. For those of you that are are parents in the room, right, you can, you can absolutely connect with this, right? Like, how good is it when your kids value your word over their experience? when they don't have to walk out and experience tragedy or, or mess up or fall flat on their face, they just say, you know what, my, my dad, my mom, they said this, and I just trust them. So I'm just not going to do this thing. Or I am going to do this thing. You see, in Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. But there's another choice. In not doing those things, you do have the opportunity to walk in step with the righteous and stand in the way of the holy and sit in the company of fellow believers and be encouraged and lifted up and guided and directed, both by the company that you keep and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. God is a perfect father. He's not a drill sergeant, He's not passive aggressive, He's always present, always guiding. I know that that can take us to a place, especially if we've had hurt or trauma, where we, we, we still think to ourselves, why? Why God? Why not this, or why that, or why this, or why? We have to get to a place where we value his word over our experience. And so often in culture, we have, we have a reverse mentality. Well, I value experience so much even if it's bad experience, even if it's hurt, even if it's whatever, like I need to do this thing, and then if it doesn't work out, then I'll know that that was wisdom. Instead, cherishing and honoring God. In Isaiah 55, it says this, seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon and this is, this is it right here. We can ask the question of God, why? The answer is, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I cannot answer the why for you or the why not for you, but I can tell you that when you overstep, when, when you compromise, when you fall short, when you look at the law and you recognize where you're at and maybe where you're not, the, 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 in the natural, I think um, the best example I can do or, or share is this. Uh, the, the law might get you into the principal's office, but that's exactly where you have to be to start the conversation and build the relationship and navigate the difficulty. I can't answer the why for you, but I can tell you where you can find an answer or revelation. And and, in a a moment with God, it's only going to happen in his presence, in conversation and relationship with him. I think that we have to understand that when we look at the law sometimes and we look at all the commandments and decrees of God, we, we look at it with a natural lens, like for me, I don't know about you, but for me, I start to think opportunity cost. I go like rational and economics on it. Like, well, what am I giving up and what am I getting? If this costs me for this amount of time or this amount of sacrifice or I have to sacrifice this experience or this, what, what is the outcome? And I would just challenge you that you can't put a natural lens on a spiritual pursuit. You, 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 Ephesians two, 2, I think it's 2, but it might be chapter 3, God, God says very clearly Through the Apostle Paul, that he's a God that can accomplish more than you can ask, think, or imagine. I don't know how to measure measure opportunity cost with my experience versus more than I could ask, think, or imagine. Because the two aren't equal. One is a natural pursuit and one is a spiritual revelation. And so, what we have to do is stop operating in an opportunity cost mindset and operate in an opportunity gain mindset. This is not what I'm losing, it's what I'm gaining. Moses continues on in, 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 in chapter 11, verse 8. Here we are again. Let me reiterate. Let me give you a second law, a second chance. Let's try this again. I know it's only been seven verses, but let me remind you. Observe, therefore, all the commands I am giving you today, so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess, and that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your ancestors to give them and their descendants. A land flowing with milk and honey. The land you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you've come where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot as in a vegetable garden. But the land you're crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. It's a land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord are continually on it from beginning to end. So if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, Then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather your grain, new wine and olive oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle and you will eat and be satisfied. Moses hits us with another truth right here that the the good life is a life dependent on divine provision produced by daily intentional faithfulness to God's word. The good life, is dependent on divine provision produced by daily intentional faithfulness to God's word. I want to key in on a a couple of things here. There's a revelation here if we can catch it. The life that you were intended to lead is one that's sustained by heavenly principles. Long-term sustenance across an entire life and for generations takes strength of will and of character, and that strength can only be found in following the commands and the word of the Lord. What we see in Deuteronomy 11:8, 8, observe all the commands so that you have the strength to go in and take over and so that you can live long in the land of the Lord. It starts with obedience, and that obedience produces strength, and that strength leads to legacy. It leads to lasting impact. It leads to profound health. It leads to wholeness and fullness If we jump back to to Psalm 1 in verse 3, it says, "The, The person receiving blessing, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. I think there's there's so many thoughts here that race through my mind as I read this. And one of the things that uh, is spoken by Moses is this idea of provision and possession, that God would oversee and look after you from beginning to end. We see it in Psalm 1 through 3. It yields its fruit in season, its leaves don't wither and what is the contingency it's the commands of the lord and how does the psalmist describe that process to us of leaning into what god says and trusting him above all else it's planting yourself by streams of water planting yourself by streams of water my question simply for all of us today is where are we planted what are we leaning into what are we following What are we saying yes to? What are we saying no to? Are we inquiring of the Holy Spirit? Are we so planted and near this living water, this source of life, this source of fullness and wholeness that every decision is yielded to him, that every instinct or thought or action is measured, is determined by him. I think this is where we have to ask ourselves the question, are we trying to hold on to something or are we trying to walk in the favor that God has for you? And I think that as believers, if we look at characters from the Bible or people even today that are role models or, or people that we can be inspired by in terms of the, the, the folks in the faith that just seem to have a real revelation from God, at some point they grappled with the question, Am I going to keep holding on and striving in my own strength, or am I going to release and trust God? Moses tells the people here, this this land that you're going into, the promise that God wants you to walk in, it's not like the land from Egypt. It's not like the place where you were in bondage, where you had to come and go and plant seed and and irrigate and walk by foot from the river, from the Nile over to your garden and strive and effort and toil. It's not that. The promise that I have for you is a land that drinks rain from heaven. that's That's a beautiful picture. This idea that I could be fully and completely sustained in his strength. And what he has for me. But but it takes stepping out of one land and stepping into another, taking control out of my hands. I know the water's gonna get watered, I know the river's right there, I know I can walk, I can do it in my own strength, I can get it, but is it ever the fullness, the mountains and valleys, a land flowing with milk and honey that you are meant to walk in? In Proverbs 14.12, I think this is the study of this particular passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy has illuminated to this, this to me even more. In Proverbs 14.12, it says, There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. I always read that proverb and thought to myself, like, what? Like, what? And I think that that is what, in, in all their wisdom, the person who spoke that said, Hey, it, it looks good in Egypt. You know where the river is. You know how to get the water. You know you can force it. You know you can white knuckle it and make it work. And you're going to grow some vegetables in your garden. And you're going to sustain yourself most of the time. You know, you can make it work. But I think in this proverb, the the nugget, the, the golden truth here is that God wants more for you than a life of making it work. He wants to sustain you. He wants to promote you. He wants to bless you and encourage you. There's a way that appears right, but in the end, it leads to death. It's not going anywhere. It's not the fullness of what God has for you. The end of this chapter in Deuteronomy, in, uh, in chapter 11, verse 26 Moses wraps it up, and we talked about how he kind of gave these commands and instruction and kind of ended with like a a ceremony. And you could read this and kind of glance over it um, because most of what's described here is not even described in super length, but it is described uh, a little bit more detail in Joshua chapter 8 because it's Joshua that fulfills the ceremony because Moses never goes into the promised land. But Moses, in his wise old age, says this in, in verse 26 of chapter 11. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. When the Lord your God has brought you into the land that you are entering to possess, you are to proclaim on Mount Gerizim the blessings and on mount ebal the curses on mount gerizim the blessings and on mount ebal the curses so he sets up this ceremony and Moses inspired by God tells the people when you go into the promised land you're going to find these two mountains and you're going to have this ceremony and we'll put the map up on the uh, the screen you can see that when the israelites come across the jordan River. They have a couple of battles that you can read about in Joshua if you want to go back. They first encountered the city of Jericho. It's where we get the little um, Sunday school song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. Cool story, miracle by God. They go on to Ai, uh, and they fight there. Eventually, they overcome in the city of Ai and conquer those people. And then they make their way north. And you can see there on the map, they find themselves... In this plot of land between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And uh, if you want to go to the next photo, this is an actual picture of Mount Gerizim uh, on the left and Mount Ebal on the right. And you can see here that what God is foreshadowing through Moses for his people is that I'm going to set a choice before you and I'm going to try to make it as clear and plain as possible. You have a choice. I have, I have already come into covenant with your, your forefather Abraham. I have said, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will provide for you. I will sustain you. I have promise on your life. I will have you walk in fullness and wholeness and health and the purpose that you are meant to if you choose it, if you choose me. And on the left, you see Mount Gerizim. It's a softer slope. It's good soil, it's green, it's alive. At the base of that mountain underneath, there's a a natural spring under it. There's fullness there, there's life there, there's blessing there. On the other side, you you see Mount Ebal. Mount Ebal is pretty much just straight limestone. It's cavernous, it's a quarry, it's hollow, it's not green. There's no life there. God is telling his people, I I want you to see this. And so Joshua in chapter eight has half of the tribe of Israel go to the base of one mountain and half of the tribe of Israel go to the other mountain. And the Levites, the priests stand in the middle and they shout the word of the Lord and they shout the blessings that are available. And half the tribes of Israel say, amen, we agree. And then they shout all the curses, all the things that if we depart from the God who said that he is ours and we are his and he will provide for us, this is what we're giving up. And they shout back to the priests, amen, we agree. This happens and and right in the middle, right where the priests are standing is a city called Shechem. Shechem has a name change though. In the New Testament, it's known as Sakaar and in that city on either side is the blessing or the curse and you can put those words up there in the aramaic the curse kelala the root word kalal means insignificant trivial light superficial the blessing though is a gift it's a present and god is saying my people I have chosen you, I have established covenant with you, I love you, and if you would just choose me, if you would just obey and follow and trust a good heavenly father, then I have blessing, and gifts, and presence, and life, and fullness, and wholeness, and health for you. And if you don't, the opposite. Again, this takes us back to that question of why. Why this and not that? I would ask you to ask God that in the secret place. I can't answer that for you. I, I don't know. I, I'm just here trusting that God is who he says he is and he's going to do what he says he's going to do and he can be trusted at his word and he's a gentle, gracious, loving father that just says, no, I, I made it all and, and this is the way that it works best for you. And I wish you would just trust me in that. And you wouldn't have to go out and experience hurt and come running back. But even if you do, I'll wrap my arms around you and I'll say, let's try this again. And we see in John 4, this woman at the well, at Sychar, in between these two mountains, Jesus says to her in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The gift of God a gift, a present. Same thing we see 1,400 years earlier, Moses sharing with the people. You can put the map up there, right in between the two mountains is Jacob's well. Jesus, our great high priest, the greatest of all of the priests, of all of the the Levites, the anointed one, our savior stands between the two mountains. Sees this woman. No limits, no guidance, no trust in the spirit. Shunned, outcast. You can read the story about her. Walking, striving for water to just get by. Just as her ancestors in Egypt, living in slavery, living in bondage, and he offers her the same blessing that the people of Israel were offered 1,400 years earlier. And there he is in the tension of it all. Love and obey. He stands in the gap. And what does Joshua do when he comes into this land and he does this ceremony with the people? They build an altar on Mount Ebal and they build a temple on Mount Gerizim. The altar on the mountain of curse where they could go and sacrifice and lay things down and say, not this way, not a hollow, insignificant, unfilled, empty, dead life, not anymore. We're laying that down. And we're gonna live on the mountain of blessing. We're gonna come to worship on Mount Gerizim, fullness, life. See, Jesus offers her living water, the good life is a life gifted and sustained by the real source and that source is jesus and what does he tell her as this beautiful encounter wraps up in john 4:23? he says yet a time is coming and now has even come when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks The good life is a life guarded by limits, it's truth. It's committed to reflection in the Spirit. It's a life dependent on divine provision, trusting in the Spirit, but produced by daily intentional faithfulness to God's Word, truth. The good life is a life gifted by the Spirit and sustained by truth. See, in John, in his gospel, he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The tension that we live in of what do I have to do or not do, or where do I have to go or not go, right in the middle, standing in the gap, is Jesus. Saying you have a choice. And so today, as we close, I would just encourage you, you have a choice. I know it seems heavy, but I think there's no accident, and I didn't plan this, why we sang, oh, Christ be magnified today. Those words in that bridge, those are those are heavy words. It's easy to sing it, but if you think about what you're saying, it's intense. And as I've already shared, I don't know all the whys, and I wouldn't stand up here and pretend to, but I do know that God is a God of limits for a reason. He wants healthiness and wholeness and fullness and blessing and favor and provision over your life. He's a good father. But we have to remember and look back and trust in that. We have to submit to divine provision. I know that if I don't walk from the river to the garden bed and water it myself, I'm trusting completely in God. And I'm hoping beyond all hope that what he gives me, what he offers me is gonna be greater and bigger. And I know because I've seen it before and I remember the before that I can keep going one step at a time, one yes at a time, one sacrifice at a time. And that is choosing the good life. Doesn't mean it's the easy life, but it's the good life, his goodness. Is greater than anything else that you can find. And so I want to give you an opportunity today. Maybe you need to square with God on something. Maybe there's something in your life that you need to talk with him. I want to make space for that. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus and you have a choice today and the Holy Spirit would say, let's try this again. So if you've never said yes to Jesus, I just wanna encourage you in this moment to bow your head and and close your eyes and and we'll all do that together just just to make space for you and God this morning. I'll lead you in a little prayer, but it's it's not a little prayer that you need, it's Jesus that you need and it's your words and your conversation with him that's gonna take you to a place of fullness and wholeness and salvation. But in your heart, you could just say, God, I've done it my way. I want to do it your way. I'm repenting of all the things that I know about and that I don't know about, all the things that need to change and don't need to change. And I'm just laying myself down here. And in humility, I'm coming to you. And I'm saying, Lord, come and have your way in my life. And we're going to keep having that conversation every single day even when I get it wrong, even when I misstep, even when I fall flat on my face, I'm going to trust in you and say, God, can we try this again? And I know you're going to meet me right there and stand in the gap, just like your son Jesus did for me thousands of years ago. Church, I wanna give us an opportunity to to stand to our feet and respond to the message and worship and just have a moment with God. If you wanna sing, sing. If you need to sit and pray, I want you to do that. But if if you wanna come up for prayer, the altar is open. Let this not be a time where you miss a moment with God. Choose life today. Choose blessing today. Choose Jesus today. Let us pray and, and we'll, we'll go into worship. Thank you so much for joining us on the Local City Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just heard and allow it to go deeply into your heart. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Local City Church. Your generosity makes this podcast possible and creates life change for so many people. You can be a part of spreading this message by going to localcity.church give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this message with your family and friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you. Have a great day.